And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. Today, we are back in a rural American context, in a rural context not too far down the road from me here in Kentucky. I'm having a conversation with a pastor who serves in rural eastern Kentucky uh, as a bivocational pastor. Our guest today is Pastor William Dooley. William Dooley is the high school teacher and the bivocational pastor of Middletown Baptist Church in Berea, Kentucky. As well, he also serves as an adjunct communication professor at Eastern Kentucky University and Bluegrass Community and Technical College. He's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Ministry at Clear Creek Baptist Bible College here in Kentucky. He's married to his wife, Sherry, for 29 years, and they have two daughters, Kaylin and Carly. Pastor Julie, I'm excited to have the conversation today. Welcome to the podcast. Dr. Aiken, thank you for inviting me to be with you today. It's a, a real privilege for me to do that, and I'm, I'm thankful to be with you. Well, let's just start with uh, the first question, kind of wh- where are you? Maybe give us an overview of your, your context, the, the people in your community, the, the environment, the landscape, the culture, all those kinds of things. Okay. Well, as you said, I, I serve about an hour and a half southeast of you in Berea, Kentucky. Um, we're a town, we're, we're a small town, just a little over 15,000 people here. I, I know that that is certainly not as small as, as some of our rural contexts, but a little over 15,000 people here. Um, folks often refer to Berea as the foothills of the Appalachians. We're not really in the mountains, but they're all around us. And so that's that's Berea. Madison County is where Berea is located. It's kind of an interesting place. We're in a rural context, but we do have some things that you might not expect in a rural context. For example, we have a college and a university here in Madison County with Berea College in Berea and Eastern Kentucky University there in Richmond. So our population includes several college students. As far as just the folks here, there's a pretty good mix of folks here. You know, I would I would say that the the people in Berea, the the townies, if you will, in Berea, certainly are of one type. And then we have college students who are a little different than that. So it seems that as sometimes we do have two different populations, but. Uh, it's a good place. I'm I'm thankful to be here and a lot of ministry opportunities here. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anything maybe that people may not know about your context that they might find interesting, any kind of any kind of surprising facts or information along those lines? Well, as I've said, we're here in town with Berea College. And that's I think that's interesting because Berea College was founded in 1855. And Berea College is billed as the first uh, racially integrated and co-educational college in the South. So that's something that is very interesting, I think. And 
the name of our town comes from John G. Fee, who, who started Berea College, and it actually refers to the Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. So I sometimes like to paraphrase that and tell folks that uh, those in Berea are more noble than those in their city. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Maybe uh, give us some background on how how you got there. Well, I will tell you, I got to Berea because Berea is my hometown. And that certainly has its blessings and it has its challenges in ministry as well. But, you know, my path to ministry has kind of been long. Some folks might say convoluted. Uh, Of course, I, I think you know that my brother Adam surrendered to gospel ministry early on, came to Southern Seminary, MDiv, PhD, has served in many places. But during the time that that took place, I just really became interested in preaching. I wanted to learn all about preaching. had no desire to preach myself, but I just really loved the office and respected the office and wanted to learn as much about it as I possibly could. And so Adam was a big help in that. You know, there were a lot of guys who I was able to learn from either up close or afar. Of course, I had pastors who who taught me things. I remember being at Southern Seminary's first ever Power in the Pulpit conference, and I sat in a session with your dad where he shared us shared with us his outlines on the book of James, and Jerry Vines spoke at that conference. And so, but I learned a lot about preaching. I learned as much as I could about preaching just because I was interested in it. Soon thereafter, I was ordained as a deacon. I served as a lay preacher for several years, but I didn't believe that the Lord would call me to pastor. Uh, About that time, I also went back to school to complete a a teaching certificate. I'd been doing factory work, and I felt a real call to the classroom, and I didn't think that he would call me to pastor, but I, I had the opportunity to come and do an interim here at Middletown, and God began to work in a way that I could not deny he didn't take away the call to the classroom that I felt, but he he called me to ministry as well, and he's allowed me to serve in both contexts. Yeah, that's great. You know, you you talked about being kind of born and raised there in Berea. You spent most of your life in ministry there. Now you're serving as a pastor there. Can can you describe a little bit about what makes Berea that context a special place to you? Well, yeah, absolutely. The thing that makes it special to me, other than the obvious, always having been here, is that through teaching and through ministry, I just really have had an opportunity to become a part of our community. You know, I've I've learned that there is far more diversity here than, than folks would imagine. Several ethnicities represented within a 10-mile radius of our church, for example, And so, you know, I've tried to lead our church to be able to minister to as many groups of people as we can to do the things that we need to do to reach people, regardless of that. And just with my work at the school, I've I've had that opportunity. Also, some folks refer to me sometimes as the chaplain of our school there, uh, because folks are off will often ask me to pray for them and, and different things like that. And so through those two things, I have just really become a part of this community. And that's been a huge blessing to me. And one of the funniest things about that, I think, is oftentimes students who I've had in the classroom 
Sometimes they may see me in a church context, or maybe if their family comes to our church, they don't know whether to call me Mr. Dooley or Pastor Dooley. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah, that's neat. I want to get some more into the kind of the bivocational nature here in a moment. Before we do, can can you describe, you, you mentioned earlier that there are some things that can make this context kind of challenging to do ministry. So maybe could you give us any examples or just share a little bit about what makes this place kind of a challenging place to do ministry? Well, you know, I, I would name a couple of things. The first thing is that the closest city to us is Lexington. And, you know, that's a good 45 minutes away from us, sometimes up to an hour and a half away, depending on where you need to go in Lexington. And so that certainly uh, adds a dimension of difficulty. You know, if you've got folks who have major surgical procedures and this and that, they're probably not going to Berea Hospital. They're they're in one of the hospitals there in Lexington. So, so just the distance to that stuff sometimes can add a little bit of difficulty uh, because, you know, particularly in a bivocational setting, you're working, you need to make those visits. It's a privilege to make those visits, certainly, but it's sometimes, you know, you can have two to three hours of extra travel time when you're making those visits, depending on what it is, the, the round trip. And then another thing that I think makes makes ministry in a setting like this kind of difficult is time just moves slower in a rural setting. And that honestly is something that I appreciate a lot of times. It's something that I enjoy. But in addition to that, it can make ministry difficult. It can make change difficult. Sometimes in a rural setting, and I'm sure this is not true only in a rural setting, but sometimes in in this setting, uh, change is particularly difficult. Uh, folks are are bound to tradition and 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 those kinds of things. And you know, the church does. It's a blessing. The church has more of a presence in a rural place like this than it does some other places. But what's difficult about that is folks often believe that by virtue of being here that they're Christians or because they used to come to this church or because their dad's a deacon in the church or or whatever. And so that sometimes makes it difficult. But I I will tell you, I'm really blessed to share with you today that just last night, our church nearly unanimously voted to allow our pastor and deacons to lead the process of drafting a new constitution for our church. We've identified some things that make it harder to do ministry and I've talked some of our folks through that and in almost unanimously in an overwhelming fashion, our church last night voted to draft a new constitution to get us past some of the things that have unintentionally hindered us from being able to do ministry. No, that's great. That's, that's great news. I want to bundle these next couple of questions together. You know, uh, one of them is kind of what does life look like for you and your family, but kind of connected to that, what is it like to serve as a bivocational pastor? You know, what are, what are some of the blessings, some of the challenges kind of connected to that? Well, what it looks like is really busy. <laughs> uh, there, there is there is always something to do. I, I will tell you that I, I'm very blessed in that the things that I do, my secular vocation and my ministry calling are things that my family oftentimes can do together. My My daughter is a teacher, for example. My younger daughter is a high school sophomore this fall. My wife works as a a teacher's aide for the school system. And so, 
you know, there are a lot of things that we do together that could be considered a part of our work. But, you know, things like Friday night football games that allow us to be there for our students and to have a presence in our community are also things that we enjoy doing together. You know, obviously, we we serve together here in the church. Of course, my, my younger daughter is part of the youth group. My wife uh, and I teach the high school Sunday school class. My older daughter this year, for the first time, directed our VBS and did a great job at that. And that was that's something that, that we work on together. So, and I understand that not every bivocational pastor has that. I'm I'm thankful to do that, or I'm thankful that I do. But you know, it's it's just really busy. And here's the thing that I'm convinced about. I am convinced that while yes, I have a full-time day job, you know, my folks deserve this the same preaching that other folks deserve and that kind of stuff. And so there's just all sorts of things to do. So I, I think I kind of answered those questions together. You know, sometimes even with the hospital visits and different things like that, my wife will go. If it's something that's appropriate for my younger daughter to go with me, she may do that. Uh, my wife and I are getting ready to do some follow-up with kids who made decisions for Jesus at our VBS. So we, we try to do as much of this stuff together as we can. The Great Commission is a call to go. And a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. I love hearing you describe kind of the way that your entire family is able to be engaged and involved in some of the things that are, that are, that are going on there. I think that's really important. Obviously, you guys are very active and involved there in the community in Berea with college students, you know, with things that are going on. You talked about VBS and families and all these things. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, are you guys able to be involved maybe regionally, nationally, internationally in any way? What, what does that kind of ministry look like for you and for your church? Well, right now, what that looks like is primarily local stuff. Of course, our church, even before I got here, has always supported cooperative program missions financially. And so so that's very important to us. Uh, but the things that I have tried to do to build a missional culture in our church has really honestly kind of come through our younger folks, through some of our youth. There's there's a homeless ministry here, for example, that uh, we've had the opportunity. And, and we divided that among a few groups. There's a ladies Bible study, uh, another ladies group that that prepared those meals a time or two. But then our youth one evening, for example, came and we just had a good time. I came, our, their youth leader came and 
you know, we we fixed meals for them. We fixed lasagna for them and, and we packaged it and we took it. The youth went with us and, and we went up and, and ministered to those folks. And then we brought them back and they got to eat some lasagna and, and have a good time. There's sort of a, a ministry to folks who are in between places to live uh, in the northern end of our county. And our youth leader and a young man in our youth group went up one day. They they just needed some help uh, with construction needs. And the first thing that they needed to do was get some junk out of the basement so that they could work. And mm. several churches in our association took part in that. But our youth leader and a young man in our group went up and served them. And, you know, I'm looking forward to getting us more involved not just locally, but in other places. You know, we are blessed here with a, a new mission strategist, associational mission strategist, who is a former IMB missionary. So he he is always looking for opportunities for our association to partner with places in other states and even in other countries. And I, I'm praying that as those opportunities grow, that that I can lead our folks and set the example for our folks and taking part in some of those. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. I want to transition to some lightning round questions where we kind of ask some kind of quicker hitting kind of questions. The first one is, uh, in your opinion, what does it take to be an effective and faithful pastor in a rural context? Well, you have to love your people. You have to love your people and you you have to love uh, the place where you are because you're not going to make it if you don't. You know, there are going to be times that you're frustrated and there are going to be times you don't like certain people, but you got to love them. Uh, that is that is absolutely the case. You have to love your people. You have to have a strong work ethic because there is always something to do. You know, you, you have to be willing. I, I tell you that I think my folks deserve faithful preaching as, as much as anybody, and they do, but they also deserve to have a pastor who who ministers to them and that kind of stuff. So it's just time consuming. You have to love those folks and you have to have a strong work ethic. And, and in the end, this is not just in a rural setting, but in any setting, you, you have to trust the Lord. Hmm. Again, things don't happen as quickly in a rural setting as you might like. I would imagine that in any setting, things don't happen as quickly as you might like, but the Lord is good and uh, you, you have to trust him to accomplish his purposes in his time as you follow his leading. Amen. Pastor Dooley, how long have you been pastoring there at Middletown? I've uh, been here for six years. I became the pastor of the first Sunday in June of 2017. I'd done an interim uh, from September up to that, but the first Sunday in June of 2017, I officially became the pastor. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So over the last you know six, seven years, as you've kind of stepped into that role, what is maybe one of the most craziest, shocking things that you've seen or experienced as a pastor? That it can be, it can be kind of a kind of more silly. It can be more serious, kind of however you want to take it. Well, I tell you, probably the craziest thing, the silliest thing, the most shocking thing that I have experienced came truly about a week into my pastorate. I, I told you that I was, uh, I became the pastor uh, first Sunday in June. This was soon enough after that, that school had just ended, and I, I was teaching summer school, which happens right after school ends. And I was on my way one morning, and I got a call from a lady who said, William, I need you to come out here. By the way, this lady is not a member of my church. She just knew me from a church we'd been part of together before I was pastoring, and she trusted me. 
And she called me and she said, William, I really need you to come to my house. She said, my niece is here. She mentioned the niece's name, a, a girl who I'd gone to school with. And she said, she is really struggling. She said, she is convinced that her boyfriend is demon possessed. And I'm thinking, okay, I've been a pastor for a week. You know, what, what do I say? What, what do I do? So little I knew about demon possessions, maybe what some of the characteristics of that would be based on the accounts in the scripture. And every time I'd say something, she'd say, oh, he does that. Oh, oh, he does that. You know, I, I referred to the demoniac who broke his chains, for example. And I said, you know, sometimes those who are demon possessed will possess supernatural strength. Oh, William, you just don't know how strong he is, she would say. And so we, we talked about this. And, and what ended up happening was I, I wound up convincing her that maybe he probably wasn't demon possessed, but that the most important thing, the thing that they needed to worry about most was not actual demon possession, but in a way, the devil did possess them because they had not trusted Jesus mm. as their savior. And I, I shared that with her and I left her with a request that she please stay in touch with me and talk to me about this. Now I'm sad to say that that didn't happen, but I, you should have seen my face when I got that call less than two weeks into pastoring and somebody's asking me to come out and perform an exorcism. Mm. Wow. What is, what is one thing you wish you knew before you started pastoring? Uh, well, there are all sorts of things that I wish I knew. I wish I knew the all-consuming nature of ministry. and I knew it in my head, and people can tell you the all-consuming nature of ministry, but it's one of those things that until you experience it, you you just don't know. Um, and then I, I too, I, I wish that I had known, again, I kind of knew, but I have really learned you're not alone in ministry. I, I'm very thankful to be a Southern Baptist and a Kentucky Baptist because of the connections that I have there. Lean on other people. Don't, don't be too proud to call on brothers that you can trust. I mean, just this morning, I spent some time with my associational mission strategist and some fellow pastors in a, in a time of prayer and really fellowship and all of those things. And so we need that. We, we need one another so much better together is not just a social media slogan that SBC uses. It's absolutely true. We're better together. We can accomplish more together than we can apart. And, and we need to lean on one another. Last question. <clears throat> How would you encourage people who are working in rural environments? What would you say to them? I would say to them, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it to do. You know, I think about Tim Keller and his idea of ministry to cities and, and, and reaching those folks. And we ought to do that. We, we ought to reach those cities. We ought not give up on them as too secular for the Lord to work. And in addition to that, though, we, we need to focus. It's kind of the, the opposite of that, but we need to focus on rural areas as well, not because they're so secular, but really because of the, the church tradition, as I said, so many folks think they know the Lord because they've been to a church or, uh, you know, somebody in their family is a, is a member of a church. And so sometimes soul winning is more difficult in a context like this where everybody already thinks they're saved. 
you know, I learned this morning that here in Madison County, folks consider us part of the Bible Belt. And I, I suppose that we are, but I learned this morning that here in Madison County, only 12 and a half percent of the people who live here are in some sort of worship service on Sunday morning. And, you know, that, that includes any kind of worship service. And we, we have, uh, Jehovah's Witness temples on both ends of our county. Uh, the big news here recently is has been the opening of a Hindu temple. And so that 12.5% includes those people as well. So that tells me that, you know, most likely less than 10% of the folks here in our county know Jesus as their Savior. There is a whole lot of ministry to do. It, mm. It's worth it. Mm, I appreciate that. William, thank you so much for your time for the, the conversation day. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website www.sbts.edu slash BGS, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.